You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hecker Robertson is a former civil servant. He's been in the bowels of the bureaucracy, but left all that behind to become a pastor at Destiny Church. I met him at Avi Yemeni's book launch in Wellington and was intrigued by his story. So with me today from Wellington is Hecker Robertson, and we're going to explore what drives him to make a real difference. Welcome to The Crunch. We had a good old chat in your office on Saturday night ahead of the RV Yemeni book launch in Wellington, and uh, I've got to say thanks for stepping up in that case and providing us a venue that couldn't be boycotted after the rowdies of the Antifa crowd you know, managed to get the Wellington Cathedral to capitulate. Uh, so I really appreciate you stepping up for that. But it was during that chat, Hecker, that you touched on a couple of things that I really wanted to talk to you about. And uh, so we're going to talk about those today um, in a wide-ranging conversation. Sounds good. So people don't know where Destiny Church is in Petoni. It's in a hard hat area, isn't it? We're in an area that they call the Bronx, so people who know Petoni know this area well. It's in probably the most popular street in Petoni, but at the wrong end of that street. So, <laughs> Yeah, Jackson Street, Petoni. And what's across the road from, from your church? Uh, so I guess it's well known for having the Mungo Mob directly across the road from us. Um, historically, I think just years, it's been the meeting place, the gathering place of the, of the mob here in Petoni, here in the hut. And it's just been traditionally generations of that uh, has been going on and still to this day. And you guys are running your Man Up program from from your church there uh, locally. How how is that been engaging with gang members, particularly the mongrel mob across the road? Uh, it's been great. I think we we moved to these premises probably about a year ago, and uh, the activity was quite heightened across the road. It always is. Mm. Uh, it's always full of extra members and. They know exactly who we are. Uh, we have a lot of men in our midst who are all ex ex mob and we even have men coming along who are who are active, you know, current mob members. Um, but we're across the road from each other, uh, but the engagement's pretty good because they know who we are. They know that we work with their families, mm. and um, yeah. There's a real, there's a real connection there. I'm not just talking about the mob. I'm talking about Black Power, Nomads, yeah. a number of different gang members. are all walking together, and they see that unity. So we don't have any trouble with them across the road. Uh, you know, we, we all come from the same families. We come from the same cultures. Uh, we've had the same lifestyles, backgrounds, hardships, dysfunctions. So you know, the only difference is. Um, that's where they're currently at in life, but it's good to be across the road from them to show mm. that there's support here for anyone who needs it. So have you found that being across the road has given these, particularly the mongrel mob members, a pathway for them to 
seek alternatives to a criminal lifestyle just simply by starting that process by crossing the road. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your your presence needs to be there. People need to see an example of what they could have, where they could go. So yeah. they decide to take that path, but you need to have it modelled to you. And when you see on one side of the road a, a bunch of men who used to be active gang members who've done a lot of time in prison for being violent offenders and had their kids taken away from them by the system and are now fathers who are thriving, who've had all their kids returned to them, are now productive members of society. It's quite a it's quite a stark contrast when you see every Sunday, and not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. And I think it's brought something new to this neighbourhood as well. You know, mm. There are neighbours who probably were very conscious of their surroundings, and now what they see is a whole new bunch of people who've moved into their neighbourhood, but who are actively taking ownership of the streets. There's no fear, there's no intimidation, and uh, there's only life and prosperity and, and hope. And so yeah. we go, whether it's here across the street, now people are all around the city, right around the country, and just providing an example of of something real as opposed to something that I would say is counterfeit because it's not, you know. It's, yeah, it's, you know, I was born in Fiji and, uh, you know, and I go back to Fiji and, and I usually just go to Suva because that's where I was born. I'm not not a tourist going back to Fiji. I'm a local going back to Fiji. And I imagine it's the same for you. I mean, although you were born in New Zealand, you, you go back to Samoa. The thing that I, found, I find uh, incredible in Fiji, and I imagine it's the same in Samoa, is on a Sunday um, you walk around the streets and there's – Lots and lots of churches. There are more churches per head of population, I would say, than than in in Auckland. And the singing that is coming out of those churches is just beautiful. You know the uh, the happiness, the joy, the singing, and it makes you want to actually walk up and go in the door. And I've done that. And and over there, are you finding a similar thing? You know, in Petoni. Across yep. the road from the mongrel mob, that your church is there. There's a whole lot of people outside that are uh, showing the fellowship and the family, the hugs, the you know welcoming people before they come to church. Then church, you know, having the singing, the all of that, and then there's the fellowship afterwards as well. Have you found that has given you know the people in that neighbourhood? And there's some pretty you know you know sad looking apartments and state housing and things like that, plus the gang pad. Is that, does that lift them up and say make them want to look and say, hey, what is this? This sounds this looks interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of curiosity. Uh, we have a man up operating here at the church directly. Yeah. Uh, we've had people come from these flats, men come along, come across, um, and that's without even you know, actively reaching out. We just hear there's a lot of noise. Um, there's curiosity when they see the place pumping with life and the mm. kids are running around outside and they're happy and even the neighbours who have kind of, you know, certain neighbours who have barricaded themselves away. Uh, but I feel like there's a bit of ease. I feel like they feel like these streets are safer 
because rather than you know the, the reputation of that's the that's the the Bronx, we're mm. saying why well, the Bronx is the most thriving, active, um, safest place to be. Uh, we're here every night, most you know, most nights of the week. Uh, no one touches anything around here. We're out on the streets, are spilling over, and there's a good interaction going. And I think really it is about modelling an example of what it could be. Similar to like, what you just described in Fiji mm. Islands, there's a lot of noise that comes out of this place. Yeah. There are a lot of men, and sometimes in churches you just see a lot of women are active, but we're the fathers. Well, here you've got some pretty burly, staunch-looking men, um, but when you see them engaging with their kids, I think, man, that's the answer. Mm. About streets being unsafe, and prevalent on the news are stories about people not feeling safe in these streets anymore. While here in the Bronx in Bretoni, this is probably the safest place you could be. Uh, that's what was great to host you guys the other night. Yeah. No fear of anything happening around here. Um, you've got people who don't live in fear. They've been there, they've done that, and they know how to get out of it and move on and have a good life. So you can only walk the walk the success that you've walked and the journey. Yeah, freedom and to success. So it was good to talk about it and for you to meet a lot of those men, a lot of the brothers who did the haka the other night. Yeah, and have quite a story to tell. And you know, that was just an amazing experience. You know, and uh, I went after the event. You know, I, I went out with with Avi and his team and and uh, Gull, his his bodyguard. You know, who, who who's uh, you know Maori heritage and. Uh, Arvi was a little bit, you know, shocked by that. He, he said, what does this mean? And I said to him, well, Arvi, they've been told by the media that you're a racist, that you're divisive, that you have appalling views. And those men are pretty tough guys. And they were a little bit hesitant about, you know, providing a little bit of muscle in case we had some Antifa people turn up, which, of course, they didn't. But they got to hear you speak and see what you're about and what Ezra Levant's about and what Rukshan Fernando's about uh, and what's on, what I'm about too, you know. And they felt moved to show a level of respect that not everybody gets. And, you know, Gulls was saying to him, you've got to stand there, uh, Avi, and you need to take this seriously. And then when you all lined up and, and uh, you know, had a hongi with, with Avi, each of you, that really, I think, uh, brought home to him that, you know, what the mainstream media have been saying uh, is not true and that people who actually bother to engage with him and understand his story and understand where he's coming from know that he isn't racist and he isn't these things, you know, and it was incredible to watch and I was so privileged to be able to see that at the time. But, you know, some of those guys, full face tattoos, you know, scary guys, but and they did that humble thing. And uh, I think that's a credit to you that they did that in that way to show respect to you as well, that we were in your place and uh, and the event went down really well, and it went down really well because of your involvement and the involvement of, of those guys. A lot of these guys, they 
like I said, each of these guys have a story, um, quite horrendous stories when you think of where these men have come from. And I'm not mm. just one of them, I'm talking about every single man. People would be blown away when they, they hear the stories of these men. And yet I see these as leaders, up-and-coming leaders in this nation. These men were connected to the Man Up program. And so they yeah. came through that movement and um, they got a second chance and uh, we've seen just the emergence of some of the most amazing, uh, strong leaders who are now going back out to their communities and uh, modelling to their own family and uh, people from where they come that it is possible to make change. Uh, we've been working with men. We worked with a lot of these guys who just come out of prison. And by some of those men who were there that night, you would have made yeah. pretty impressive um, years behind them done time and everything, so they've been there, done that. Uh, but a lot of their rehabilitation didn't happen inside. Probably none of it happened inside. Didn't. And uh, they connected with a different kind of brotherhood mm. that gave them purpose, got to the root cause of what, why they were offending and what their past was. And you know, I guess they realised that you don't have to be a gang member to be a broken man. I've met some of the most broken men in my 20 years working for government, some of the most dysfunctional men, and we didn't wear patches, but you know, our, we hid behind suits and ties, uh, and yet they were probably more broken than most people. And the sad thing is, a lot of these broken men are there making decisions, trying to fix other men in the country. Uh, yeah. The men that you saw that night uh, were a, an example of what we're doing with men right throughout the country. What you witnessed there on that night, I know you had a, an amazing night with Brian Tamaki up in Auckland. Mm. That's that's where this was all birthed from. And just a vision that he had to see broken men come to a point of healing so that we could heal our nation. And we know most of the, the issues we're facing in this nation is broken men. Policies, research, degrees can't heal that. And there's, it's only men who can work together with men. And so it's an amazing program. It's the foundation of it. And it's what you witnessed on that night uh, is replicated right throughout the country. Uh, it's pretty active in a number of cities throughout Australia as well. Yeah. So we absolutely believe that this is the way to go if we're serious about transforming our nation, that term that we love to use in government. Yeah, transformation. So how does the pathway work? Let's say a gang member, Mungle Mob gang member, looks out the window, sees that uh, church is operating, hears some music, looks around, sees that everyone's pretty bored, there's nothing much happening. He strolls across the road in his patch, opens the door. What happens next? Welcomed in, just like you'd be welcome into any family. We had one last week, been coming for the last couple of weeks active member, connected to us, still an active member of the gangs, mm. but it just keeps coming back because he knows and he, he sees modeled to him something that is better. And, you know, I just know that he he, he's, he keeps on getting drawn to it. We hear leaders of parties talking about, oh, this is our policy for gangs. We're going to gang, ban patches and ban all these things. But we're saying, hey, we've had gang members right throughout the country who didn't have to have a patch ban put on them. They've all voluntarily surrendered their patches 
and a Vasada, there's something better for me. And uh, when they have that kind of motivation, when they see an example of how every gang member wants their families to prosper, mm. uh, they want their kids to do well and they want something better for themselves. And so when you just model that with true authenticity, no judgment, um, no coercion or anything like that, uh, we've had more of an influx of gang members come through and to see a place of acceptance. And even if you were there on Sunday, you would have seen another one come in on Sunday, all patched up, but yet felt surrounded by something that was true and authentic. And I just know it's only a matter of time. Uh, we're not telling people to change the way you look, change the way you dress. We're just saying, hey, come in amongst it. It's come as you are. Information for yourself. And um, I've loved... Uh, along with the rest of our men being able to journey with individuals who have come to us and said, listen, I I, I want to leave. And, and we've encouraged them just to be bold and strong and authentic about their motivation for moving on. And uh, most times it's been well received by the gangs. Is there a process that they go through to come to a point where they make a decision to not only uh bring uh the message of Jesus Christ into their life, but also to abandon the gang lifestyle and drop their patch. It's about an internal change in the program, in the man up program, it's a ten week program. Uh it's not about behavioural modification. It's about getting to the root of root cause of these issues and um really peeling away the layers and so when they're going through the program, they they get to the root cause. We talk about each each week we go through some of the key things uh, that they'll struggle with. You know, perversion, jealousy, probably one of the biggest demons facing men today. Having mm. uh, a suicide, we we tackle the issues that New Zealand men are renowned around the world for. Uh, some of our domestic violence stats are the worst in the developed world. Mm. Suicide, the same. Uh, so we talked about that, but really you're, un- you're unlocking and you're peeling away layers of some of the trauma that these men went through as young boys that they've grown up with that hasn't been resolved, and then they end up taking this trauma, this unresolved trauma, rejection, name, you name it, they take it into their relationships, they take it into their marriages, they're still hurt, but you know what, how the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. So we've got grown men who have got families and wives and partners and kids who are still walking through life with the the brokenness of a five-year-old. And most of the times, uh, it's about their relationship with their dad. That's probably the biggest problem facing this country today is fatherlessness. And when you're in prison, you can't be a father, can you? You can't be a father. I think the Mm. stats on a lot of our offenders shows that 65 to 70% of them grew up without a father. So I'm thinking that's the that's the deficit in this nation. Mm. It gives rise to departments, programs, and a whole lot of taxpayer funding that goes down the drain because we're trying to deal to a problem uh, which could have been dealt with if, father, if fathers were present. Yeah. That's predominantly, that's the prevalent thing that we uncover each of these sessions. And so we work, work through that, uncovering, unlocking, you know, identifying, exposing, and then understanding. And then they can go on to a point of, okay, let's start to get some healing going on now. You've managed to 
pinpoint the root issue. And for a lot mm. of them, it's amazing. I'll sit in these sessions and, you know, we encourage them to open up. We come in a, we're in a society where it's a real tough Kiwi male, harden up, bro. Mm. Don't mm. open up, you know, don't be a pussy. and Don't share your feelings. Exactly. But in this environment, it's amazing. It's such a powerful environment because men come in for the first time and they just catch this as an environment where it's safe to open up. Um, I'm not being judged in here. Yes. Yeah. What's said here stays here. Doesn't leave the room. And uh, and very quickly they they form a bond with men who are not just going to be there with them once a week. It's not like a once a week, 10, 12 week tip box exercise. Mm. Outside of that, it's a 24 7. And so we've got men who themselves have experienced the transformation so grateful that they give up their time, their lives to help other brothers. And that means, which is what no service will give you, you've got the availability of these men at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. uh, any time of day, stepping out of their, their convenience, um, giving of their time and their resource. A lot of providers say, how do you get these men to be this faithful? I'm thinking because I've touched and experienced something that's real, very real for them. And so why wouldn't you want to do that for someone else? What happens if they decide they want to drop their patch, that they want to start a new life outside of the gangs? Do they just take their patch off and that's it? Or is there some sort of ceremony? And how do the gangs react to that when somebody drops their patch? Well, my experience of the men in my group who have wanted to leave the gangs, they'll come and talk to me about it and say, this is what we want to do. Uh, the ones who have decided to leave have been pretty high up in the gangs. Mm-hmm. And so they've had some good influence and good respect. And uh, I think there's some real power. You know, I, I really believe that, that when they go back to the gangs, but the gangs can see the transformation that these men have made. They're not just doing a runner. But they're seeing, they're witnessing that there's something real. And a lot of the gangs, some of them have said, look, I, I miss my family. I want to go back to my family. They've had no trouble with the men that I've dealt with who've left. They've had no problems. I've heard, I've heard other stories from some of my colleagues about the men who've wanted to leave. And when they've gone back to the gangs and said, uh, you know, I want to leave, and they know the kaupapa of man up that they've connected to, mm. uh, there's been that degree of respect from their leaders that they've said, okay, we'll let you leave. But if you leave that, we're coming after you. Right. So, so you know, they have respect for what these men are leaving to go to. And in a, in a way, they're saying that's the only condition on which we're accepting that you're leaving because we can see what you're going towards. Mm. But you leave that, then, you know, we're after you. So it varies from... You know, person to person, but um, and if they've needed the support, then we've had brothers who have supported them mm. going and making that approach to their respective leaders. Um, so it's just it's great. One of the greatest things is at our national conventions when you see brothers, and I've got them here who they knew each other in prison. They were enemies in prison, mongrel mob, black power. You know, mm. they knew each other in the yard. They'd suss each other out. And now they're brothers, brothers in arms, brothers who support each other, who back each other. They don't have to watch their backs. You know, they've got each other's backs. Uh, there's nothing more rewarding and more satisfying than to see men who were 
previously the Minister Society becoming some of the greatest leaders, greatest mentors, men who I'm proud for my kids to call uncle. And um, and not only that, but the men who are prospering, they're getting into business, they're prospering financially. Mm. Uh, we've had so many men make commitments to their, their women. We've had so many man-up weddings. Because there's a saying that we say, if you love her, marry her. And mm. so a lot of these men throughout the country, they're saying we're the first ones in our family to ever have a wedding. Wow. About generations. So it's it's great. You know, this is transformation from the ground up. Yeah. There's not a cent of government funding that goes into this. You know, no yeah. expert researchers have come to develop this program. It's a hard thing. It's come from people who really walked this pathway and have got years, years of investment to show it. And I'm absolutely convinced that this is the way to go with men in New Zealand. You've been a leader inside government. You've been working in government ministries. Um, you know, you went to law school. You're highly educated. You left all of that behind to you know, take up to be, become a pastor, to follow that lead. And now you're also looking at moving into politics. You could have sat there in in the government ministries getting paid huge dollars, developing, I don't know, bumper sticker type policies that ultimately go nowhere other than to suck more money out of the government. Is that what's driving you that you feel a need that, Perhaps within government, it's not the way to work. And so you've, you've, you've for a start, went to destiny, and now you're looking at politics as a way to continue that work rather than sit inside the system. Absolutely. I spent, uh, I sat in government probably too long. I had a 20-year career in government. Mm. I mean, strategies, and most of them were in the justice sector, crime prevention, youth offending. Uh, violence prevention, uh, you name it, I was in there. I was at the Beehive when we would launch all these strategies. Yeah. Uh, the amount of taxpayer dollars that went into the process of strategy development before any cent had hit the ground. Uh, and really, there's just been different sort of iterations of these strategies over the years with successive governments that have changed things. So if I look at a strategy today, it looks exactly identical to what I would have worked on 25 years ago. And uh, people think we did great things. And yeah, there was a lot that was done. But at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, the statistics are still the same. You know, they're getting worse. Crime is happening earlier and it's a lot more violent. I mean, it's concerning. And, and mm. girls violent young girls. So that tells me bureaucracy is not the way to deal with things. Success of governments, layers of bureaucracy, the only transformation I see is a bloated bureaucracy. Uh, and now all of a sudden people want to talk about culling it. Well, it's a little bit too little too late because they wouldn't want to know what to do with the money if they did that anyway. But I'm saying I'm comparing 20 years in government with the few years that I've spent outside of government I've seen more transformation in this ground-up approach that has had not one policy analyst develop a program, not one researcher or evaluator develop it, mm. and not one centre of government funding, and I'm seeing more lasting results that I challenge any politician to, to equal it. 
Uh, and that's probably what motivates me. I'm sitting, I'm thinking, man, where's this money going in government? Mm. How, how much longer are we going to keep on making the same mistakes? I've worked under Labor, National, Labor, National, Labor, National, probably about five prime ministers I've worked under. Yeah. And yet the statistics are still the same. And so I'm thinking, wake up, when are we going to learn? Mm. Five years ago, we stood on the steps of Parliament. Five years ago, we packed the lawns of Parliament with ex-gang members, ex-drug dealers, ex-violent wife beaters. Mm. They were all following the steps of Parliament, and we had all the leaders. We had David Seymour there. We had Judith Collins on the steps of Parliament, and we had Andrew Little, who was a then Minister of Justice, and they all publicly endorsed the Man Up program. Mm. This works. How can you deny it when you've got a lawn full of people um, who are clearly, obviously, people who, who have been through a pretty tough life? They all endorsed it. And then we had Calvin Davis, who's the, you know, current then and current Minister of Corrections. Yeah. Um, totally decided that he'd rather announce $98 you know, million dollars for what he had installed to reform mm. prisoners. Well, I go into the prisons all the time, and I've been going in since I've been doing the Man Up program. And I used to do it up in Auckland, they put in more mm. down here at Rimutaka. Mm. And all I have these guys asking me, and our other guys who go on, is, can what you're doing with me, can we do it? Can I have this happening in the, in the prisons? Why would you block something that's working? And it's working, it's not of an oily rag. It's as, it's astonishing. It, it really is astonishing because I've seen those results. You know, I, I, okay, sure, it was a couple of hours, but those guys that were out the front, you know, um, that were helping at the back with the sound system and that, they've all got similar backgrounds and they were the nicest, most approachable people that I've seen in a long time, you know. Their tattoos mean nothing to me, and uh, they actually are standing proud now rather than broken, you know. And it was incredible to see that, and that, and that's why I wanted to talk with you. That's why I've wanted to talk with Brian Tamaki because I want to learn more about this Man Up program because, the, you know, the church that I'm involved in in, in Auckland has a similar uh you know, re outreach towards gang members with the Grace Foundation, you know, and uh, they're making a difference too. And again, they're shunned by those in power, although they're a bit more loved by the media, you know, um, because they've got that, they've got Dave Latelli there just, you know, out there as an evangelist for their program. But they're blocked as well because people see, you know, hundreds of gang members and, and literally, it is hundreds of of people wearing colours and they're big people, you know, and, and they're all there on a Saturday at the church and it intimidates people. Whereas I look at it and I think, wow, they must be doing something right if there's like 200 people here. Like who gets up early on a Saturday morning to go to, go to church? <laughs> there's 200 gang members here that are going to church. And how safe do you feel? I feel perfectly safe. Well, I'm, you know, we, I'm literally not afraid of anybody. So, you know. Yeah. We, um, you know, throughout the protest season, 
we'd lead these big protest marches and mm. we I would have the police thanking us for helping to make their job easier. Yeah. Now, the, the greatest thing for me is that we had a whole lot of women on these protests who would come up to us and they'd say, we feel so safe with all of these men around us. These mm. big, burly men, ex-crims and everything, and yet they are men who found a purpose. They love their country, and now they're standing up and staunch for something else. And so when you ask me about, you know, leaving government and coming out here and being in the church and then suddenly um, taking this direction of looking, getting involved in politics, it's because I see that the problem isn't the problem isn't in the shortage of programs or solutions. The problem is the politicians. At the end of the day, the problem is and red, blue, red, blue successive governments are not listening to the people. We've been a part of that. That's why it was a pleasure to help you guys on Saturday night mm. because we understand cancel culture. We understand when politicians stop listening that you need to do things differently just to catch their attention. You'll see one of our candidates in Auckland, mm. um, you know, popped his head over the fence halfway through um, what the beginning of Chris Luxon's press conference, but we got to get your attention. Mm. Look at what's happening. Do you really care about this country? And so that's why it's about you've got to you've got to put something under a stake in the ground. Kiwis want to be safe. Uh, successive governments have got it wrong, and so we're saying, how do you put what you've done that works into a strategy? We're talking law and order. We've developed under Freedoms New Zealand an amazing law and order strategy, mm. and under the strategy, we've targeted these key areas. We talk about homicides. Uh, domestic violence, ram raids, and gangs. And we're going to flip the script on this. And we can make bold statements. Politicians do it all the time, particularly around election time. But we're doing them not based on wishful thinking or things that we think we can do. And But we're saying we're doing them because we make these statements because we're already seeing the results right now mm. doing them. And so... We've set some bold targets for the first 180 days and say, hey, we can reduce ram raids, homicides, uh, domestic violence, gang numbers to what they were pre-Labor government. Yeah. So, you know, if you really want to take a chance on something that's going to bring some transformation, not only will you feel safer in your streets, but imagine the change in the nation when a man who was good for nothing didn't back himself and only um, just inflicted... Took, took from society instead of gave to society. And now we've turned them into men who are going to add to the economy, who are going to raise good kids. They're going to break generational dysfunction better than any politician, than any uh, policy analyst or research you could do. There's something true and authentic about that. And we want to raise that caliber of men in this nation again. And we already see them there. This is happening, you know, on a volunteer basis. Imagine if government decided to invest taxpayer money in something that is authentic, that works. You had a couple of hours with us on Sunday, Saturday, mm. sorry, but it left an impact. Oh, it did. And yeah, it really did. And, you know, it, it left an impact on, on Ezra Levant. You know, he, he spent a considerable amount of time before the show got going talking to you about this and it really impressed him you know like i was privileged to be you know staying with those guys uh you know at the accommodation that we had and i got to hear what they were talking about 
you know, and they were seriously impressed about that. And it really made an impact on them uh, to understand how you're breaking the cycle of violence. But, you know, you've been talking about how the politicians haven't been listening. You've been talking about how the bureaucrats haven't been listening. Aren't you running a risk by standing for parliament that you could, in fact, become a politician? And how are you going to guard against being one of those unlistening politicians that we've had? We've had, I mean, we've had thousands of people stand for parliament. They say they're going to do all of these things, and when they get in there and they get hold of the the, you know, the metaphorical levers of power, literally do nothing. What are you going to do to guard against that should you become an MP and, and a politician? Well, straight up, up front, we've held ourselves accountable beforehand. We're saying, you hold us accountable. You hold us accountable. This is what we say we can do. And we can't do a worse job than what's been done over successive governments over many, many years. Mm. We can't do any worse than the 88-year blue and red coalition of Labour and National. Mm. And I know that Kiwis are serious. We're not just talking about law and order and crime. We're talking about economic prosperity. Mm. Because when you fix the men, you're fixing the families. You're getting rid of broken families. You're getting rid of homelessness. You're getting rid of, uh, you know, mental health, all these areas, you're dealing to so many sectors of society that are draining our economy. And so for us, it's about, we're saying, hey, keep us accountable. How many politicians have been accountable? There should be a job description and a, and a performance appraisal that you're out if you haven't delivered. How many yeah. promises and things have not been delivered by this government and by the previous one? And so I guess, you know, I spent too, I've spent too long knowing uh, what the sound of broken promises leaves a, a bit of taste in my mouth. And, you know, I'll, I don't want to be a part of something like that. And I think right. it's something that is so authentic about what I'm seeing. You know, you can't mm. unsee or unexperience what your transformation that I've seen in the last few years is something real. We need a new type of politician. And you'll see the type of men and women who are standing are not seasoned politicians. No. no. I'm a seasoned bureaucrat, so I've got to get some soap to wash that off me because it's like I'm so I'm so used to conforming to a bureaucratic way of thinking and conforming. Yeah. Really what we need is disruption to that monotonous compliant process that has kept us doing the same thing and getting the same results and the whole country is becoming anesthetized to that. We need to break something open. It takes something pretty radical um, to shock and to jolt people out of what's the same old, same old. Let's really make a change. I had a lady come into the launch of my campaign the other week, and she said, I'm a, I'm a hardcore Labour supporter. Mm. And so I'm coming here because I just want people to vote Labour because the last thing I want is a national government. Mm. I said, well, that's you and all your lot, but there's another lot who uh, absolutely don't want another Labour government, you know? Mm. Why does it have to be this or that? How about we've got a bunch of New Zealand's New Zealanders who are not held to ransom by red or blue, but actually can rise up and take control of our country back and not have to be constantly disappointed about what a blue or red government does. Mm. But we know what works, and... 
you know, I swayed that lady by the end of the session. She's going to go right and get a whole lot of people to jump on board what we're doing. She heard something authentic. Yeah. And I thought, hey, I've been there 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's the key thing in politics, and it's what I, I say to politicians when I'm training them or when I'm you know, discussing things with them. And, and this is the thing that I think is Christopher Luxon's problem, is that he's got some wonderful things that he's saying, but it doesn't sound authentic. It sounds like it's rehearsed. He thinks that he's got solutions, but he actually hasn't seen the effects of what politicians can do to people. And, you know, I said this many, many years ago when Helen Clark's government came to an end, I said, you know, to a Labour guy who said, oh, you know, we've just got to stop the Nats getting in. And I said, well, you're not going to do that in 2008. And he said, why is that? And I said, because the people have had nine years of Helen Clark as a prime minister and they still live in the same crappy neighbourhoods their kids still go to the same crappy schools. They are still living in the same crappy house. Nothing has changed for them, and they voted three times in a row for that leadership. And Helen Clark was a competent prime minister. You know, um, I didn't agree with her politics, but she knew what she was doing. And now you look, we've had nine years of national following Helen Clark, and then we've had six years of labor following John Key, those people are still living in those areas. Still nothing's changed. And if we, you know, the very definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting different results. So how do you jog people out of that? Well, you know, it isn't boot camps, that's for sure, you know. That, that's an easy. That's an easy thing to say. You know, are we going to go and be tough on? On the you, you're, you're going to be. Are you tougher than the tough guys? Like seriously, you know, are we going to have politicians that are going to be tougher than the tough guys? You know, it's like they've never met anybody from the streets. They're out of touch. They're definitely out of touch. I ran Chris Luxton's law and order policy by yeah. some of my guys who have been have done a lot of time, who have been in gangs, mm. and gangs, and they just pulled it apart in minutes as to why it wouldn't work. And I'm thinking, were you consulted on something like this? Because that, I'm sure that these guys weren't part of the consultation process to inform what's going to make a good policy. Our policy is based on people who have walked the walk and they can talk the talk because they've been there, done that, but more importantly, they've got the results to show for it. And so I think that is a problem that you've identified. If you've got politicians who've ever experienced that, out of touch with the community, and as you would have seen of our guy stepping over the fence to mm. talk to us, he says, Chris, I've never seen you. You're standing yeah. there and you, you talk a, a good talk, but we've never seen you down in the community where it's all happening. Yeah. If he decided to come, you'd actually catch a true and accurate feel of what's going on, um, but you're, you're absent. And so what, the better of the two Chris's? And then Chris decides to take him. He says, oh, well, let's go and have a private conversation somewhere else. But the idea of that is, no, let's be transparent 
and actually be willing to stand up and face the people and respond to what the people want to know. But that's the problem, isn't it? Christopher Luxon has shown that he doesn't want to listen to the people. You were one of the leaders at Parliament at the protest. You know, David Seymour claims that he met the leaders uh, of the thing. You were one of the leaders. Can you scotch his claims right here and right now for listeners of Reality Check Radio? Did David Seymour meet you no, during that protest? Not meet me. Um, he would hopefully, probably hovered around and met somebody. He just has to talk to somebody who's part of the protest and claim that he spoke to the to the protest leaders, but he, he didn't turn in. And that's why I'm saying to people, listen, no party who is currently in government, whether it's Labour, whether it's National, whether it's Greens, whether it's Party Māori or ACT, they're all the same. I remember the time, the high point of that protest when polls show that at least 30% of New Zealanders agreed with what we were protesting about. Mm. So that's a, a huge portion of the country. Surely that would warrant maybe 30% of MPs would represent that 30%. Coming out and talking. Not one MP represents that 30%. Now, yeah. there we go. So that tells me they want it for themselves. It is a grand coalition of people who won't listen to the community. And, and this is what we're, we're breaking. Someone challenged me and said, why are you, who do you think you are running the Prime Minister's electorate? You're running against the Prime Minister. He's got, he won by a 20,000 lead. And I said, well, I, I, he happens to live in my electorate, but that's not the point. The point is I know that there are many people who are disgruntled with this government and I'm chasing as many party votes for freedom of New Zealand as I can who mm. are saying we're no longer supportive of this government. Now, Big Mike, don't make the mistake of withdrawing your support for them and throwing it to another party that's currently in there and will be guilty of doing the same thing again. Yeah. Let's go from two of one abusive partner to the other ones, another revolving door. One yeah. ones of the country stand up and stand together and actually make a difference. We know we've got the goods, we're good for it. We are absolutely good for it because we walk and talk and we are the solution because we are, you know, we ourselves have been a walking solution. Yeah. And to find any educated people to do that, it's it's right in front of me. You witnessed it on Saturday night. And so it's like, man, how do you milk that? How do you squeeze the gold out of that? I, well, you, I guess you've just got to do it more and more and more and expose more and more people to that message. And I, mean, I guess that's the importance of the political process, that we don't shut down debates. We don't shut down ideas that may challenge us. We listen, and we may actually learn something by listening to people who we thought or maybe have been described as having opposing views. And you know, that's, the, that's the thing that impressed me the most is that Brian and yourself you know, knew who Avi Yemeni was, what people have said about him, and you provided the venues anyway. It doesn't mean you support what he's, what his ideas are. All you're supporting is his ability to speak freely. That's right. That's right. Well, Hika, I, I wish you all the best for the election. I hope that you can make a difference. You've certainly got your heart in the right place. And uh, I just wanted to explore some of that journey so that people can understand what motivates you 
to stand for parliament. And, uh, you know, it's only a few short weeks away. And uh, uh, I hope and pray that um, people like yourself, good people like yourself, uh, will be chosen by the electors to represent them in parliament, that we will get politicians that will start listening and that we will break that cycle of lurching from left to right, from red to blue. And so I appreciate your time for coming on The Crunch. Thanks, Jim. And uh, we'll have a chat, I'm sure, in the coming years about some other things. Well, we'll see you at Parliament on the 28th. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's in my planning. It's like, let's let's get all these Kiwis together and, and say, hey, you love your country. You don't want them to sell your country off, well then let's all be united, turn up there on the 28th and um, make some noise. But no, it's been an honour and a privilege, Cameron, great to connect with you. And I know that there's going to be many, many uh, more great things that we're all going to be doing together. Let's just commit to stay in touch because talking is the pathway to freedom. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Hika is one of life's genuine, quiet heroes, seeing a need and making a huge difference. His story and the pathways to redemption he facilitates are truly inspiring. I hope he does make it into Parliament because I think he could make a real difference. Don't forget to send comments on Hika's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.